I just got back from some time away, and it involved a bit of air travel. And I actually haven't done a whole lot of flying since before the pandemic and all that we went through. And I found myself on some of these long flights that I was on, all of a sudden, um, kind of looking around differently than I normally would on an airplane, basically not wanting to touch anything. It was like there was dirt and germs and danger on every surface. And I don't know about you, but I, I especially find it difficult in those tiny bathrooms when you're in there and you want to wash your hands and then you've got to get the little paper into the door and, it, and you just don't want to touch anything. And I just, I looked at myself and I thought, um, this is not normally me and yet there is something deep within all of us that has an awareness of cleanliness and the need for it. All that we went through during the height of the pandemic, it affected different people in different ways. Different people reacted to it. And we became more vigilant, more aware, um, in some ways uh, actually more mindful about being clean, being safe, sanitizing many things. And it actually taps into something that goes back for generations and generations, literally millennia back into the time of our ancestors. There's always been an awareness of the importance of hygiene and cleanliness, and thanks to that, humankind actually has survived to now. And this comes up in the passage today, because uh, back when the Gospel of Matthew was written, uh, there was still concern about what cleanliness codes needed to still be followed. Basically, if you look into the Hebrew Bible, into the Old Testament, if you read the whole thing, you will see long passages about how to live in a way that is clean. There are practices, ways of washing. There's also, of course, foods that are clean and foods that are unclean. Clean foods include foods like beef, uh, from you know, lamb, sheep, and from goats. Foods that are unclean are from lizards, shellfish, snakes, insects, swine, and rock badger. I remember in my Old Testament studies where rock badger kept coming up, and I thought, rock it's really important not to eat rock badger. <laughs> One of the things the Bible teaches us. We also learn that you cannot have physical contact. You cannot touch anything or any person who is, who is dead or who is diseased. And if you do, you yourself become unclean until you wash yourself thoroughly and all of your clothes and wait until nightfall. Only then do you become clean again. So like I said, during the time when Matthew's Gospel was written and Christianity was still a new branch of Judaism, there was a big discussion about whether Christians needed to follow all of the cleanliness codes that were found in the Hebrew Bible. Um, some of the Christians were Gentiles and came from a different tradition originally, and some, like the writer of Matthew, were Jewish. And Matthew, incidentally, is the most Jewish of all the four gospel writers. And so this question comes to Jesus, and interestingly, he doesn't actually address it completely. He, he doesn't take it so much head on as he points to a higher principle. He points to that cleanliness goes beyond 
physical, bodily cleanliness, but that there is something above which I would call spiritual cleanliness. He says it is not the things that go into us that defile us, it's what comes out of us. It's because that is about what is coming from our heart. And so what is the difference between mere body, bodily cleanliness and spiritual cleanliness? Well, it is found in the example that I believe we have all seen of people who can perhaps quote scripture in heroic ways, who have all the right answers to sophisticated theological questions, and yet who have not learned how to love their neighbors. We are called to be spiritually clean, to have hearts that are pure. That is what Jesus is getting at. It is a deeper call to remove the impurity from our hearts of small-mindedness or egotism or hate or vanity so that we can become free to love with purity. There is a word that is used by the Hawaiian people, a word that is well known and used frequently, perhaps used so much that people don't realize what a serious concept it is in Hawaiian culture. It is the word aloha. Aloha, of course, is used both for greetings when you say hello and when you say goodbye, but aloha means love, a pure-hearted love. And if you've been fortunate to travel in the Hawaiian Islands, you may have experienced there is a real feeling of aloha that you will encounter there. And you can speak of a person as having aloha in their heart. There's also a word that is used almost as frequently, which is ohana. And ohana means family. It doesn't always mean literally your family, but it is those who are family to you and your family to them. It's an awareness of our connectedness with one another and our need for one another and what we are seeing with this unspeakable tragedy that just happened last week. We are seeing the aloha and the spirit of ohana as people are reaching out to one another. And I, I will share with you that that's, that is where my family was. We were not in Maui. We, we were on the island of Kauai. And we um, heard the radio reports that everybody heard on the islands that hurricane winds were coming and that there was a great risk of fire. And thanks be to God for the people of Kauai. They didn't have to suffer the way that people in other places, especially Maui, did. Um, and so our hearts go out to them. I notice with churches, you will see the signs that often say all are welcome. I think it's important for all of us churches to become clear, welcome to what? Churches are a place for gathering, for friendship, for great music and learning, for quiet reflection, for spiritual nurture and nourishment, and of course prayer, but also I believe churches are called to be places where we learn to love, a school for loving. A bishop friend of mine uh, jokes that Jesus did, said that he came to bring life and to bring it abundantly. He did not come to bring church and bring it abundantly. But our goal as a church is to be a place where people discover life. And you will not truly discover that life until you learn 
to purify and clean your heart. And the way of Jesus is about results. And that means that we have to not just learn about his way, but we have to try it. And only then will we see the difference it makes. To walk in love like him with spiritual cleanliness. Sadly, in Jesus' day, there was another norm that existed, uh, a different code, and one that is dealt with in the second part of this gospel reading, which is the code of separation. People were expected to separate one type of people for another, from another type of people, and we are told clearly um, at the beginning of that section that Jesus is heading into a different region, the area of Tyre and Sidon, which in his day and still today is a beautiful area, and perhaps he was going there for some rest. But he wouldn't have been surprised that he would run into non-Jews, into, into Gentiles. And this woman comes up to him, a Canaanite woman, and she asks him for a healing for her daughter. Then a very unusual thing happens. He, he doesn't respond at all. He doesn't say a word. But his disciples come around and they say, she shouldn't be talking to us. In fact, she is really annoying. She's shouting at us about this and tell her to go away. But she continues and she says, please have mercy on me. To which he says famously and shockingly, he says, the bread, it, it is not fair to give the bread for the children to the dogs. He calls her a dog. It has, been noticed, it has been noted that this is the only place in all the Gospels where Jesus says an unkind and cold thing to a woman. It makes me wonder, what was his intention with these words? What was on his heart? Did he mean those words that he was saying, or did he say them with some other purpose? Perhaps, was he saying these words echoing the sentiment of those who surrounded him? so that they might hear those words too in a new way. We won't know, but we do know her response. Her famous response where she says, yes, but even the dogs will come to, take, to eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And her, her response is clear. She knows the good things that he is bringing and she will not hold back from them. And importantly, she affirms that she is a person of worth. And so does he affirm that. As he responds that her faith is great and her daughter instantly is healed. The gospel is for all. There uh, was a play written many years ago in 1908 by an Englishman about Abraham Lincoln. And there's a dramatic scene in this play. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, of course, somebody who worshiped in this space. Um, there's a dramatic scene where a woman comes up to him and they have an exchange. And I have not verified whether this is based on something that historically actually happened or not, but I do, from what I know about Lincoln, know that it represents the kind of person he was. And so, in the play, the woman comes up to him and she says, Mr. President, is there news of the war? And he responds, yes, there is. In fact, we have had a great victory. They lost, he tells her, they lost 2,700 men, and we lost 800. The woman is thrilled to hear this, and she says, how splendid. But Abraham Lincoln, visibly disturbed, 
tells her, reminds her, 3,500 people died. To this, she responds, oh, but only 800 that mattered. And Lincoln, with tears welling up in his eyes, says to her, Madam, the world is larger than your heart. We are asked to be clean, but not merely with the cleanliness of the world, but with spiritual cleanliness. We are asked to have larger hearts. Amen.